So today I'm going to begin a three-week series called 2020, A Year for Getting Closer. Uh, and in this series, I'm going to ask all of us that consider Vineyard Pataskala our church home to commit ourselves to three things uh, throughout this year. Uh, I guess you could call these resolutions, but I prefer to simply call them uh, commitments. And here are the three commitments that I am asking you, if this is your church home, I am asking you to make this year. The first one is a commitment to getting closer to God. And that's going to be the focus of today's message. The second is a commitment to getting closer to each other. And that's going to be next week's message. And then the third is going to be a commitment to getting closer to the lost, which is going to be the focus of the message in uh, two weeks, uh, two weeks from today. So 2020, a year for getting closer to God, to each other, and to the lost. And then for those of you who kind of are like a sneak peek of maybe what's coming as we go into this year, uh, I'm still deciding, prayerfully considering it, but I, I think after we get through this three-week series, uh, we're likely to turn our attention to the book of Galatians and uh, spend several weeks in that book that does such a wonderful job of emphasizing the gospel of grace. But for today, I am asking us to make 2020 a year for getting closer to God. Now, I'm fairly confident that if you were to review uh, all of the sermons that I preached during 2019, the topic that you would find addressed most frequently is the importance of our personal relationships with God. Now, in a way, that seems like what you might call a no-brainer for a Christian church to emphasize the theme of developing a close relationship with God. But so often, what I think we think of when we talk about our relationship with God, we think of it almost entirely in terms of salvation and eternal destination. And I think that we often overlook how vitally important our relationship with God is for the here and now. And that's the theme that showed up again and again throughout 2019. The importance of a relationship with God and understanding who we are in Christ for identity and healthy self-esteem. The importance of a relationship with God for dealing with difficulties in life, for having the strength that we need uh, for the things that life throws at us. The importance of God being our most important relationship because He's the only one who fully knows us. The only one who knows us better than we know ourselves. The one who is always with us, even when we are alone. He's still with us. The only one, this, this one showed up several times throughout the year. The only one who is in that place with us that no one else ever gets to. The place of our inner thoughts and emotions. When we have a relationship with God, we're never alone. So a relationship with God is indispensable to going through times in life that feel lonely. And staying in those times emotionally and spiritually uh, healthy. 
And I could go on and on and on with the importance of cultivating a close relationship with God, but I want to mention just one more. A relationship with God is important for helping us deal with those ultimate questions and issues. Those things like mortality. What I believe God desires and what is in each of our best interests is to grow in our relationship with God throughout our lives, continually getting closer and closer to Him so that when we get to that time where we face what everyone ever born has faced or will face, our mortality, that when we get to that place, we are able to fully trust God in that moment and be at peace. Our relationship with God is so important, not just in terms of salvation and eternal destination, but for the here and now. Here's how the psalmist acknowledged the importance of a relationship with God in Psalm 62.1, which is a psalm of David. My soul finds rest in God alone. My soul finds rest in God alone. What a wonderfully succinct explanation of the importance of a relationship with God. It's true that friends are important to us. We need friends. We're going to talk about that next week. It, it, it's very important. We can help and encourage each other during difficult times. We can pray for each other. We can speak affirming words to each other. We, we can provide great help for one another simply by being present with each other. Just presence is a wonderful way that friends are helpful to one another. But here's the reality. There are some things that we simply cannot provide for each other. None of us can provide peace for another person. None of us can take a troubled soul and provide rest for that soul. None of us can satisfy for another person what only God can satisfy. And because of this, the importance of having a relationship with God simply can't be overstated. It is the single most important thing in life. Yes, for salvation, but also for what we need to live life well and to be emotionally and spiritually healthy people. Augustine said it so eloquently, Our hearts were made for you, O Lord, and they are restless until they find their rest in you. May God grant each and every one of us this year, and I hope today, the revelation that he granted Augustine, the revelation that he granted David, that he is our source of rest. He is our source of peace. Everything that we need for spiritual and emotional health, he is our source. When we're close with God, we will always be all right, even when life isn't all right, because God provides rest for our souls. The Apostle Paul understood the importance of knowing God in a close and personal way. In Ephesians 1, uh, in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, he wrote to the Christians in Ephesus and shared with them a prayer that he had for them. 
And Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is my prayer for all of us in 2020. And so I want to turn our attention now to Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. It should be on the screen behind me. I'll read and you follow along as I do. Here's what Paul wrote. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. My gosh, sometimes I wish we were Pentecostals because this place would have erupted at just the reading of that text. What a wonderful text of Scripture that is. What a truth-packed section of Scripture. In verse 17, Paul prays that God would give the Ephesians the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that they would know God better. Paul's writing to believers here. So these are people who, like most of us here today, would have already said yes to Jesus, would have already received the Holy Spirit, So Paul isn't here praying that they would receive the person of the Holy Spirit. He is praying that they would receive a special illumination from the Spirit. In praying for wisdom and revelation, Paul is asking God to illuminate for the Ephesians a greater knowledge of himself. Who he is. His love for them. His power. And he's asking that that knowledge would result in practical benefits for their lives. We can think of revelation as the imparting of knowledge about God. And we can think of wisdom as the proper use of that knowledge in life. What Paul is praying for the Ephesians is that they would have a deep, spiritual, experiential knowledge of God. A knowledge that is not gained by intellectual ability, but is only gained by the gracious ministry of the Spirit. And he wants that knowledge, that revelation to be put to use in a way that impacts and actually changes their lives. They know God, but he prays that they would know God better. And that's my prayer for all of us in 2020, that we would know God better. Most of us, probably not all, but most of us in this room today have received Christ as Savior. 
Most of us, not all, are putting some effort in to surrendering to him as Lord. Most of us here today, because we've received Christ as Savior, we have received God's Spirit. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But I don't think I would offend you if I said, which I'm saying, <laughs> that most of us here today are living below the life that is available to us in Christ. We're living below it. We're fearful, even though the one to whom we belong is sovereign over all things. Think of that. He's sovereign over all things. Yet we're fearful. We're restless and dissatisfied, even though the one to whom we belong, we've learned already today, is the one who provides rest for our souls. We're directionless in life, even though the one to whom we belong has promised to light our paths and has given each and every believer clear directions for, to, for participating in his work in the world. We're beset by sin, even though the one whom we serve has promised that with every temptation, he'll provide a way of escape. What should we conclude from all of this? We should conclude that we need to know God better. We need a greater revelation of who He is. We need a greater understanding of what that means for us. We need revelation and wisdom from the Spirit so that we'll know Him better. And I'm going to be praying during 2020 that the people of Vineyard Christian Church would receive revelation and wisdom from the Spirit so that we would know God better. And I invite you to join me in praying that throughout this year for yourself, for our entire congregation, and for all believers everywhere. Paul prays for wisdom and revelation to know God better. And then in verse 18, he prays that the eyes of the Ephesians' hearts would be enlightened to know three things. He, he prays that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened to know the hope to which we have been called. Now, I believe there are two aspects to this hope to which we've been called. I, I believe there is a present aspect to this, and I believe there is a future aspect to this. The present aspect of this hope to which we've been called is the transformation that can occur in our lives as we allow ourselves to be formed and transformed by Jesus Christ. The hope to which we've been called, we don't have to stay like we are. We can be transformed by the power of the Spirit. We don't have to stay forever fearful. We can be set free, transformed by the Spirit. We don't have to stay controlled by sin. We can be set free to live the life that God intends for us to live. 
The present aspect of the hope to which we've been called is that we can experience the abundant life that Christ desires for us in the here and now. Now, that's not necessarily a life marked by material prosperity and everything going exactly like we'd prefer, but it's a life that is marked by love and joy and peace. Whether life is going really smoothly for us or we're currently riding some really rough waters. This is the present aspect of our hope. We can be who God created us to be and filled us with the Holy Spirit to become. But there's also a future aspect of this hope to which we've been called. And it's the hope of life after death. It's the hope of that day when Christ wipes every tear from our eyes. When death and mourning and crying and pain are no more. And when Christ declares, I am making everything new. And we live forever as God intended from the beginning. The hope to which we've been called. A transformed life now and eternal life to come. As Paul prayed for the Ephesians, I'm going to pray for us this year that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened and that we would really know deep in our spirit the hope to which we've been called and that our lives would be different because of this hope that we have. Again, I invite you to join me in praying for this this year, for yourself, for our church and for all believers. Paul also prays that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened to know the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. And as I studied for the message this week, I, I found that theologians and Bible commentators kind of debate over two different ways of understanding this passage, or the, the, this, uh, this phrase. The first is that the saints... The Ephesian believers, and of course this would apply to you and I as well, that the saints are God's inheritance. And God views us as his inheritance. There's no doubt that God considers us, considers you, to be of great worth. Why else would he allow his one and only son to die for our sins and secure eternal life for us that we don't deserve? God considers you to be of great value, of great worth. The other view on the meaning of God's glorious inheritance in the saints is that it refers to all that we believers will inherit, will inherit in the future. Specifically, it means the inheritance will receive when the entire universe is put under the reign of Christ and we obtain the eternal life that Christ died and rose again to secure for us. Now, here's my view when theologians and Bible commentators don't agree on something. I consider both things, and I make my choice as to which I think is the best. So you can do that as well. Go with your preferred option. But here's how I have chosen on this particular one. I choose to believe the meaning encompasses both of these things because I'm encouraged by both of these thoughts. That I'm of such value to God that he considers me an inheritance, that's an encouraging thought. 
That's a very encouraging thought. And the realization that someday we're going to experience the full rule and reign of Christ with all of his enemies permanently defeated and the entire universe delivered from decay and experience the glorious freedom of the eternal reign of Christ. That's an encouraging thought. So I say yes and amen to both of these interpretations. And finally, Paul prays that the eyes of the Ephesians' hearts, and I pray that it would be true for us today as well, would be enlightened to know God's incomparably great power for us who believe. Maxie Dunham writes this. Until the eyes of our understanding are enlightened to see this, we are missing a huge chunk of the Christian experience. Very technical and theological language there. A huge chunk (laughs) of the Christian experience. It is one of the fundamental thoughts of Paul, thus the capstone of this prayer, that by faith we lay hold of the power of God. By faith we lay hold of the power, as as the uh, following verses to 19 say, we lay hold of the power that raised Christ from the dead. And seated him at the right hand of God. By faith we lay hold of the power that is far above every principality and power and might and dominion in this age and the age to come. By faith we lay hold of the power of Christ who is the head of everything for the church. What Paul knew to be true of the Ephesians is true of us. We live below the power that's available to us. God has power for us who believe. But we allow ourselves to continue to be ruled by carnality. God has power for us who believe. But too often our Christian walk is more of a Christian stumble. Now, it's covered by God's grace. Thankfully, and I speak as a fellow participant in the stumbling, it's, it's covered by God's grace, but it's not his best for us. God has power for us, but we live in fear of things that are out of our control, even though they're under his control. God has power for us, but we accept sadness and despair rather than taking hold Of the peace and rest of God. Paul wants us to know that the power that raised Christ from the dead is available right now for those of us who believe. It's available right now. God's power is available now to heal, to set people free. To redeem our sins, to energize our wills, to renew our spirits, to reconcile our relationships, to bring us peace. To bring us peace. So Paul prayed for them and I pray for us. And I hope you'll join me in praying for us. 
that God would give us wisdom and revelation to know him better, that the wisdom and revelation he would give us would include knowing the hope to which we've been called, knowing the riches of his glorious inheritance in us, and knowing God's incomparably great power for us, which is available right here, right now. May we know each of these things. Have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Receive the revelation and wisdom of the Spirit so that we will get closer to God and know Him better. This prayer can become a reality in our individual lives as we reject the status quo of our relationship with God and commit for 2020 to be a year of getting closer to God. So how do we, how do, we do that? Well, I imagine there are a lot of things that could be said about that, but there are two that I feel impressed to share with us today. How, how do we make this commitment to get closer to God? First of all, we will get closer to God when we finally recognize when we finally believe deep in our spirit that knowing Christ is the greatest and most important thing in all of life. If we don't come to believe that, then our relationship with God is always just going to be sort of this thing that sometimes we'll spend some time with and sometimes we won't. We have to come to believe it is the greatest and the most important thing. It is what Paul believed. Paul wrote so eloquently in Philippians 3, 8 through 10, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I consider everything a loss. Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul considers everything in life subordinate to the most important thing, knowing Jesus. We will get closer to God. We will draw closer to Jesus when we finally come to the place of understanding that our relationship with Him is the most important thing in life. May the Holy Spirit today impart that understanding to each and every one of our hearts.
and we'll get closer to God, here's the second thing. When we choose to draw near to God. James 4.8, come near to God and he will come near to you. There is a choosing that we have to do if we're going to come close to God, if we're going to get closer to him. In 2020, may each of us recognize that knowing Christ is the most important thing in all of life. May we commit ourselves to drawing close to him, coming close to him. And we are promised that if we will do that, he will come near to us. Revelation 3.20 is a verse that's often applied to those who haven't yet received Christ. And I think that's an appropriate use for the verse. But it was actually written to believers. It was actually written to the church at Laodicea. Just as a reminder, in case you aren't familiar or or you have forgotten, here's part of what God said to the church at Laodicea before we get to Revelation 3.20. He said, you say, God speaking to the church, you say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, blind and naked gentle Jesus (laughs) and here's how I think God wants us to apply this today this is this is what I believe the Holy Spirit brought to my spirit about this uh, for this message today we are the people I am you are Vineyard Christian Church is. The rest of the believers in Pataskalar. The universal church is. We are the people who say to the world that we have the answer. Look to us. We have the answer. We tell people that not only is Jesus the answer to our sin problem, But Jesus is the answer to all of our problems. We tell the world, we present to the world that Jesus gives hope and peace and joy. And yet many of us here at the church at Pataskala are not experiencing in our own lives what we're telling the world is available to them through Christ. We say Christ brings peace, but we don't have peace. We say Christ brings joy, but we don't have joy. We say Christ brings hope, but we're defeated and discouraged most of the time we proclaim freedom that we do not have even though we have received Christ as Savior and Lord now this was the case to a large extent with the Laodiceans 
And it's the case with believers today. It's the case for many of us in this room today. We say that we have something that we don't actually have. We're saved. I'm not saying we're not saved. We're saved. But we don't have all of these wonderful benefits that we tell others that Jesus provides. And for those of us who that is true of today, the message of Revelation 3.20 is for you. It's for me. Jesus said to believers who were living below the life that they could have in him, here I am. Here I am. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with you and you with me. The answer to our problem of living below what Christ has for us isn't condemnation. It's not beating ourselves up and saying by the sheer force of our will, I'm going to do better this year. That's not what I'm presenting to you today. It's not anger at ourselves, you know, for being so pathetic. If I just get angry enough with myself, then I'll, I'll start to do better. It's not any of that. It's not to keep wallowing in a life that's below God's best. The answer is to accept Christ's invitation to draw closer to him. I believe he's knocking on a lot of hearts today. He wants to get closer to us. He desires to be close with us. But we have to be willing to respond to his knock. We have to be willing to open the door and let him in. We have to choose to draw near to God. And so if you are living below God's best for you, the answer is you've got to get closer to Jesus. The answer is that we have to get to know him better. We have to draw closer. If we do that, we can begin to experience the quality of life that he has for us who believe in him. Listen, it's not enough to call him Savior and Lord. It's not enough. To receive the power that he has for us. To, to live the kind of life that he desires for us. It's not enough for us just to say, yes, I'll, I'll receive you as Savior. It's not enough just to say, hey, I'm going to try not to do stuff you don't want me to do. We have to know him. We have to know him intimately. We have to be close to him. After issuing the invitation to open the door to him, Jesus promises that for those who open the door, he will come in and he will fellowship with them. My soul finds rest in God alone. Our hearts were made for you, O Lord, and they are restless 
until they find their rest in you. For our own good, for your own good, toward experiencing life as Christ intends for you, for living in the power that Christ has made available to you. Make 2020 a year that you are committed to getting closer to God. Make it your most important thing. Let's stand. 